Thank you, everyone, for joining the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. I am your host, Larry Brown, my co-host, Vaughn and Teen, still out, uh, still stopping the criminals of New York, of Gotham City, from doing uh, evil and explicit things to his citizens. So we wish him all the best, and we hope that he's on at a future date. Uh, but right now, I have a very, very special guest on. Um, if you are active in powerlifting, especially in the IG community, uh, you've come across this man um, in numerous posts, whether it be via his girlfriend, uh, clothing sponsor, Live Large, or his gym. Um, his name is Ryan Silva. If you don't know him, you will know him because he is quickly becoming one of the premier coaches inside of powerlifting right now. He has a very uh, accomplished background in powerlifting, and he's finally transitioning back to bodybuilding. Uh, I've had the pleasure of actually uh, writing out a program for him, uh, and he stuck to it uh, like a machine, and he's done very well, and he's now with Coach uh, Matt Jansen over there at Camp Jansen. They're doing really big things at that camp. But uh, I want to bring Ryan on because he has a very, very, very background. Um, now, if I'm if I'm wrong, you started out in mixed martial arts, correct? Yeah. So uh, I did mixed martial arts from the time I was like 18 to the time I was about uh, probably 23 or so. I didn't lift weights until I was 23. Uh, I didn't start lifting weights. So I was 23. I had like injured my hand pretty bad. I had uh, cut a tendon that goes over the middle finger on my right hand. And uh, so I had surgery and like got all it repaired. And then as part of rehab, like I had to lift weights. And uh, so that kind of like got the gears turned a little bit where I like had a little fun with it. And don't get wrong, like here and there, I'd like gone to the gym for a month or two, like prior to that. But like my main focus was like grappling and mixed martial arts. And uh, so then through this rehab, you know, I started to really love, you know, just lifting weights and what it did for me during rehab. Um, but then like part of the big driver, like stick with that was after I got out of rehab, I had a lot of scar tissue uh, on the knuckles of that hand where I had had major surgery and like I couldn't make a fist like normal and I like could not box like normal and grapple like normal uh, still for like quite a long time afterwards, but I could lift weights. So I just continued lifting weights and, uh, you know, like really fell in love with it. So I've never really been into combat sports or anything like that. Like for me, my closest, my closest brush with con combat quote unquote sports is, uh, the WWF because I like my violence scripted with colorful costumes. Yeah. Hey, I, I like that too. You know, I do. Yeah. So I'm trying I'm trying to figure out what was the motivation for you to say, okay, I'm going to go into an octagon and I'm going to punch somebody in the face. And if they punch me in the face, I'm completely okay with that. Well, you know, at the time uh, I worked at this bar, you know, I was young and uh, almost everyone that worked there, at least on the security side of things, uh, like trained in some manner at, you know, a couple of the local gyms. Um, so, you know, I was already training uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu all the time at like 18. Uh, and then just being around everyone all the time, you know, you're with your friends, you're like, well, this is fun. You know what I mean? And uh, it was just, it was just fun. And, uh, you know, competing in all these things just always became like a, a natural extension of like, 
becoming, you know, good or at least serviceable at them. And then you like want to test your skills, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know why I'm developing all these skills to just come in here and do nothing with them in the gym every day, you know, like getting better is cool. Um, but you know, I'd like to see how those skills stack up against someone else doing the same thing. But it's still somebody punching you in the face, which I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, so I have a very low pain tolerance, right? Yeah. My wife has a very high pain tolerance and she has a, she has a, a mean right hand, right? <laughs> like I'd be so close to just be like Joe Lewis and her ass. Cause she, her hands are so damn heavy. They're like hand ho- ham hocks. Yeah. And if she hits me in the arm, like it hurts, like it legit hurts. Right. So like you're still getting punched in the face. So at what point was it that, Hey, I'm kind of, I know you had the surgery, but like there was no other outlet that you could do like Taekwondo, karate, anything like that. Everything was striking, uh, you know, involves your hand. And it was like, so there's this really built up scar tissue. And then, so anytime you'd like strike anything with that hand, there was like this weird, like electric shock that would like go up your arm, you know, did not feel good. Um, and grappling was okay. And I continued to grapple for, uh, a few more years. Um, but eventually I, uh, in a couple of years, I like moved to Houston, uh, with a girlfriend at the time. And, uh, I don't know, I like really enjoyed who I trained with, um, you know, in Kansas city and stuff like that. And I just like never found a gym that I really enjoyed in Houston, but Houston does have like a a very good, uh, you know, bodybuilding scene and some powerlifting. So I definitely kind of like immersed myself in that a little more when I got down there, when I like didn't find a, like a MMA or jujitsu gym that I really loved to be at. So let's start the transition. Now, which did you, which did you fall into first? Was it powerlifting or was it bodybuilding or was it Um, a combination of both? Kind of a combination of both. So I was pretty lucky. Like, so I'm a little bit older like you, I'm 36. And uh, so when I was getting into it, like forums were still a thing. I don't know if they really are now or not. And uh, so I somehow through some friends found my way on the off topic, which was a big forum site at one time. uh, And they had like a sub forum called like fitness and nutrition. And, uh, you know, there was some like pretty accomplished powerlifter guys that were in there. There was like a, there were some pretty jacked bodybuilder dudes in there, but they all had the same message. Like, if you want to be big and jacked, you like got to be strong and you got to like do some reps eventually. So um, I liked to do both or, or I always pursued strength in while I was bodybuilding. Um, But, you know, at the time powerlifting like I had zero experience with it. I had no idea about competing. You know, I, I read a lot on elite FTS all the time. Um, but back then like geared powerlifting was still huge. And, uh, that was like my experience with powerlifting was like reading all this, you know, educational material and articles and training logs, uh, from geared lifters. And I'm like, I don't fucking know anything about any of that but I do want to be strong. So I'm going to do some fives and threes here and there, you know what I mean? And, and try and get some, get stronger on these main lifts. And, uh, for a long time, I applied, uh, 
five, three, one from Jim Windler to like my main lift of each day, like my squat or my bench or whatever. And uh, so I guess you could say I kind of applied some powerlifting principles to, um, you know, my main lift for a long time. And then I just, you know, kind of did bodybuilding after that each day. It's funny because that's how in powerlifting, that's how I kind of got my start. So like you, I was a forum guy, but I eventually transitioned over to um, Elite FTS and I was reading logs. And the first two things I ordered from that company was a two pronged black powerlifting belt, which I had mm -hmm. for years until I gave yep. it to my cousin. And I had the EFS basic training manual, which essentially was the conjugate method. Right. Absolutely. But what, but what they don't tell you is that all of that shit takes time is catered to geared lifting. Yeah. And I'm looking at it. So I'm always trying to apply like bodybuilding principles to everything. Right. Because I believe it's mm -hmm. something there. There was like very it was so off the wall to me reading how to do some of the assistance work and you got to get in extra workouts. I'm like, yo, fucker, I go to school. I can't really do any of that. Yeah. And, and a lot of that stuff from them, it was written for specialty gyms like theirs. And I just went to a big 24 hour fitness. I couldn't do all that. Yeah. There was no, like, I was lucky. I went to quads, right? Mm -hmm. But the quads in Chicago, but the stuff that they were asking for, like some stuff, even quads didn't have at the time. Like, <laughs> That's extreme, man that's 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 extreme like you know there were no there weren't there was no swiss bar um and now everywhere was, has that they're everywhere there was no um yoke bar yeah there, there wasn't a lot of stuff until me and a couple of other people by the name of troy and greg until we started powerlifting heavy and kind of started uh working our way around the local area like hey we need this here we need this here it, it was like written for guys training at the compound and then they just sold it to everyone else and made a fuck ton of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not bashing it. Don't get me wrong. Like, no, not at I, still, all. I still have it to this day, but, uh, you know, you could definitely tell the downfalls in that. And then you have five, three, one, and that kind of bridged the gap between, you know, what everyone was doing in basic gyms and the EFS basic training manual so yep. I just find it funny that a lot of a lot of a lot of bodybuilders that were dipping in their toes in the powerlifting mm -hmm. started with that particular program. Well, it, the other thing is, like, I I can't remember, and I'm sure there was, you know, because there were some powerlifting forums and stuff, but like, there was not another website where you could go and obtain that amount of free information to try and learn and apply on your own. It was a lot. It was overload. So in some aspects, <laughs> um, you didn't know because, you know, the athletes that they had on the roster at the time, they had uh, Jeremy Frey, who was damn near yep. king of 242s at the time. You had uh, uh, Janae Marie Kroc be before yep. the transition, Matt Krozaleski. Yep. Uh, you had Wendler. Uh, you had a couple of strength coaches. Um, I always remember there's this really jacked, taller, bald dude. And uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be like that guy. He was really strong, but he essentially looked like a bodybuilder, you know, and then and then Croc as well. So it was like 
I wanted to look like the bodybuilder, but be strong. So I always like tried to devise a program that went down that path. Yes. I know who you're talking about. Uh, JL Holdsworth. Yeah. Have you, have you ever met him? I've never met him in person. He's an intimidating fellow. <laughs> I, I went to the, I went to uh, the learn and train seminar and I did a squat for him and all he really did was shake his fucking head. That was it. He was like, so yeah, I was just like, okay, but um, move, moving on. So you get into powerlifting, you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger. At what point did you say, okay, let's roll to the platform. Let's see what we got. Uh, man, that was in 2016. Yeah. 2016. And what meat was that? Uh, it was a strong like bull, a local powerlifting meat down here in Kansas City. It's a USAPL sanctioned. Um, it was my first meet, and I did squatted 585 or 584, whatever it is in kilos. I benched 402 and pulled 644. So at that point, was that your highest to date for like? something in that particular setting or had you didn't had you done more in gym lifts no I, I hadn't done any more in the gym than that okay so you do that meet and at that point was the bug with you for powerlifting or were you still eh, this is something yeah. cool to do for right now I never wanted to only do one you know like I had done a bodybuilding show in 2013 um I did that powerlifting meet. I, I believe that was in the fall or no, that was in the spring of 16. And then in the fall of 16, I did um, all-stars here, the bodybuilding show. Okay. Um, so I had, I had never only one, or, or I'm sorry, I might've got those two all-stars might've been in the spring. Yeah. All-stars in the spring and the meet was in the fall. Sorry. Um, but I never only wanted to do one. You know, if you look back at like powerlifters from the 70s and 80s, like uh, they weren't fat slobs and a lot of them did both. You know, like, you know, they'd get, you know, a little softer during the powerlifting phase for sure. But, uh, you know, they all still had, you know, they were visibly very jacked and they weren't just fat with a big belly. You know, that really developed in like the nineties and early two thousands with a lot of guys. Uh, but that's not what it was. And so I was like really uh, attracted to that, like nostalgic look where like you looked like you could do both. Yeah. And um, you know, I, when I, when I, when I see that, um, do you ever remember this website called seventies big? hundred percent. Okay. I, I think I may have ordered a, a sweatshirt from there at some point. Okay. So I think of um, guys like uh, John Gamble. I think mm -hmm. guys like um, who did they have? It was not, I'm not thinking Doug for now, but you know, the, uh, the Doug big young, Doug young, Doug young. That is the yes. prototypical power bodybuilder. Yeah. Like that. I'm into that. <laughs> Yes, that's that. If you could pick out a, a person that you want to look like bodybuilder or not, Doug Young is like the man. Like you, you just look at him and you're like, that guy's the fucking man. You know, that's it. That's it. You want to look like him. So. Now you're progressing and 
in powerlifting. Tell us about that transition back to bodybuilding. Because you mentioned you did shows in 2013. What was that experience like? And what led you back to wanting to be on the stage? I felt like I fell in love with bodybuilding. Like that's what made me want to keep going. Like after rehab was like, I, I thought it was really cool. Like, you know, I'd always grown up a pretty skinny kid or skinny fat, you know, in reality. And, uh, you know, I was like, a not exceptionally athletically gifted, but I was, a, you know, exceptionally gifted at trying very hard. You know, there was many times I may have had a position or something uh, where I was not the most athletically gifted kid to be there, but I tried harder than everyone else and earned it, you know. And, uh, you know, with like bodybuilding, you know, after rehab, I was like, well, I can really change myself if I stick with this. And I have, you know, and uh, and that was very fun to me. You know, I, you know, later in life, there was there was more reasons that I stuck with it than in the beginning. But in the beginning, I just decided, well, I, I just want to do this. And I've been doing it ever since. So now that we are kind of on a journey back to the stage. Mm -hmm what are some of your training principles? What are some of the things that you believe in that are universal to beginner, intermediate, and advanced lifters? You know, I think everyone needs to have sound mechanics when they lift. You know, I, you know, I see a lot of kids, I say kids, young adults that could benefit, that make little progress, in my opinion just because they're not applying proper technique to the lift that they're doing. So they're not even hitting what they're actually trying to hit. Uh, you know, I think that's the main thing or the main one, um, you know, and then I think there should be uh, a proper level of intensity to all the sets you do, you know, because otherwise if there's not, we could just do sets endlessly. I want the sets to have a point. Um, and that's different for everyone because I, I do think a little bit um, how people train and train successfully is a little bit tied to their personality. Um, there are some people that are not going to be high intensity trainers. You know what I mean? Some people just don't get down that way. So they're going to need a little bit more volume. Um, but I still feel even with the volume people, it should be an appropriate amount of volume that they can take to a level of intensity uh, to drive progress. And so you've got to play with that a little bit if, if they're that kind of person, you know, and then if someone is an intensity trainer, I love that because they can get more done on less sets if they're willing to take it to the brink, you know, here's, um, a, here's a question. And I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Um, and this is something that I've encountered with, with myself and with a couple other people that I've trained with, do you find that your, your training changes as the seasons change? Like it's very weird phenomenon. Like meaning you do more volume in the summertime or you do more volume in the wintertime because you can eat more food and recover or you do more volume in the summertime because you get a really good pump. You want to rock around pumped up. You get to have food with friends. Like, do you, do you, do you get that? Or Maybe am I just a I, fucking weirdo? I think when I was younger, I could see that. Um, now I just kind of stick to the plan. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, I try and leave all the variables in control instead of, you know, maybe just adding things for this or that, you know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, yeah, I could see when I was younger, especially I, here's me. I could see in the winter, me and my buddies, you know, just going for hours at the gym and doing a million drop sets and this and that, cause we're eating a ton of food and there's it's cold and there's nothing else to do. So we might as well train our ass off. Okay. I just, cause sometimes I'll, sometimes like I'll do it, but now, nowadays, like I'll stick to the plan that I've laid out with, with very minor alterations. So yeah. I just need to know if I was, uh, if I was the weirdo. No, and, and I mean, I could definitely see that. Like if it's the summer and you're like, well, we're going to go out after this. All right, well, let's do, we'll, let's pump it up a little bit more. I could totally see that. So now you were uh, competing uh, back to a competing bodybuilder. Yeah. And now you, you leave. Cause I know you were a bouncer for a while. We also have that in common. I hated bouncing around Wrigley field. Um, that was a nightmare and a half. I can imagine. But now you're a business owner. So talk to me about the gym that you own and where that came from. So Strong Barbell Club kind of started uh, as like an idea or a group first. Um, We kind of had a partnership inside a local gym here that is a mix between a fitness center and kind of a semi-hardcore bodybuilding gym people you know they have you know large cardio area that people love but most of the people that went there there's a lot of people that competed and a lot of people that trained really hard with a goal you know they 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 weren't going there just to go and uh they had a big section there where they had uh but you know long before i was ever there they had a a group of power lifters that they had let purchase some equipment and put it in this area. And, uh, they already had some championship level power lifters there that obviously attracted people, um, when they wanted to get powerlifting. That's why I ended up up there. Um, and, uh, you know, so you go up there and, you know, train because that's where the best power lifters were. Uh, but eventually, um, that owner, uh, had some legal troubles and someone new bought it. And, uh, you know, they had made a lot of promises about how they were going to kind of leave us alone and let us keep doing our thing and thing like that. And, uh, you know, and even opened up another side for us to expand the strength side of things, we'll call it. Um, but as time went on, we, we butted heads more and more because we were going to run the strength side and they were going to do that part. And then, you know, uh, we would make money off our training and stuff, but you know, it was, it was just a mutually beneficial deal for everyone, but then they wanted to keep come over and, you know, putting their hand in our side and trying to dictate it. And uh, eventually we just said, you know, we could do this better on our own and make more money. (laughs) So we just ended up, you know, parting ways and, uh, and finding a building and open our own gym. We had, we we'd, we'd built ahead. a pretty loyal following. So that made it easy when we were deciding to leave that we probably had already like a hundred built in members. 
Now, with you starting your own business, what were some of the difficulties that you encountered early on? Because a lot of people think that owning a gym and building a gym is just, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Well, that's the same thing people think about bars too. You know, and I've, uh, you know, run several bars down here at Power and Light where we, we netted several million dollars profit at the end of the year, but that's hard work. It wasn't easy to make that, you know. And that's the same with the gym. You know, the, the best thing we did for the gym was not go into debt to open it, relatively speaking, you know, a few thousand dollars, not much. And uh, <clears throat> we had already amassed quite a bit of our own equipment, um, like, you know, the monos and the combo racks and the kilo plates and all the specialty bars and stuff we'd purchased on our own. Um, so it helped that when we wanted to open own gym, we already had a small membership base. We already had all the equipment you could need to do powerlifting, which is what people came to us for. And so we essentially needed a small space. I, I don't say small, a space that fit our budget. Um, and then we could take our stuff, lay it down, and we could essentially be, you know, up and running as soon as we had a business license. You know, now we did a lot more to get it up and running because <clears throat> we wanted it to be a, something we're proud of, um, you know, but not going into debt, not getting into like this giant 20,000 square foot space and trying to fill it out, uh, you know, starting small and growing with your membership base uh, is the best thing that we ever did so that we didn't run into any troubles, maybe on the financial side. The, the really the biggest problem that we had is we had got a building um, and we'd been kind of renovating it and letting the people we knew train there while we were renovating it. And uh, two weeks before we're supposed to open to the public, a big storm comes through and um, collapses the roof on the building. So we go to the gym on a Sunday morning and we see that and we literally have to tear everything out of the building, find a new space, lease it and move everything in the next few days. That way we could be open for the next, for the correct opening date. So now we have this gym, we have lifters in there mm -hmm. and now we're watching people train. Mm -hmm. yes, Where sir. are powerlifters going wrong in their training? Too much just squat bench and deadlift. You know, so you're so you're so you're you're a big believer in assistance work builds the lift. It can help either build where you're muscularly deficient, which can help build the lift, or um you know, it can help with deficient movement pattern, depending on how you choose to attack it. Um, you know, but more than that, you know, like I coach Andy Huang and I'm friends with, a, you know, a, a great handful of many other top tier powerlifters and many of us talk. And anytime we all talk and we're, you know, just shooting the shit, everyone says, well, when I did powerlifting slash bodybuilding, I never felt near as beat up, you know but you're hitting things from a lot more angles. 
uh, a lot of different mobilities on the joints and things like that. I think people just get too stuck into like only the single plane of motion for the for the big three. And they, you know, and that's what leads to, you know, deficiencies in the body and things like that and why people get so beat up. Everyone I know that trains the squat bench and deadlift hard and appropriately for powerlifting and does their accessories like a, a bodybuilder, you know, if we look at everyone across the top of the weight classes now, that's what they all look like. They all look like power bodybuilders, you know. Even the big 308 guys now look like that. They're not fat anymore. They're all 6'5 and jacked. You know, it's not it's not 5'10, 5'8 guys that just got out of shape anymore. And that's that's crazy that people haven't made that link that like not fat moves weight, but muscle moves weight still even in even in 2021 um you know i saw i saw your girlfriend actually an ig story from a meet that you guys went to a couple of weeks ago yeah um about how people were still eating fucking (laughs) gummy bears and oh god the dude the meat day nutrition is absolutely atrocious what what is that a lack of knowledge or a Uh, lack of discipline it's potentially both, but it's also <clears throat> them putting too much faith in what their favorite Instagram powerlifter does, who also probably doesn't have a great handle on nutrition. You know, they they saw someone doing it on Instagram, and then they do it, and now it's like rampant that people are like eating, you know if I tried to explain to them that the carbolin I drink during the workout is efficient at fueling my workouts because it's a high uh, molecular weight, low osmolality carb. And that's why it travels uh, through the gut and gives me energy very quickly. They would have no idea what I'm talking about. And they're like, can I just eat gummy bears that has sugar in it? That's a carb. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, the, the gummy bears, the, the, endless energy drinks now that's like, a, that's a thing too now yeah. i'm guilty of drinking my share of energy drinks but damn it gets a it gets a little crazy with some people it gets it gets very crazy i actually had to cut mine back uh not because of heart palpitations or anything but because i was scared of the effects that could potentially happen you know yeah so now you're training and all that and you said you're 36 37 yeah 36 Okay, so now we're in master's range. Whether whether we like it or not, we're in master's. Yeah, I just range. don't think of myself that way. I still feel twenty five. I had I had a conversation with a previous podcast guest by the name of Ryan Doris, and we said that uh, a true master isn't until forty, and that's even up for debate because I agree with that. Even, you could even say fifty is a true master because you're still you're still you can still develop somewhat in your forties. But once you get to 50, you're, you're what you have is what you have. I agree with that. You know, I've never entered a, a, an age division of anything in my entire life. I, whether it was jujitsu tournaments or bodybuilding, powerlifting, I've just done the open division. Why would I, why would I do anything else? Uh, until it was just clearly evident that I was no longer cut out for the open division. (laughs) And you, you sound exactly like me. I've just done open. That's how I was raised. 
um, yeah. raise, quote unquote, in bodybuilding. You just do the mm-hmm. open. I mean, you do the novice for shits and giggles to get a trophy. Hey, look, baby, I got a trophy in the novice. What's that mean? Nothing. It means I'm a champion. Oh, don't um, worry about that. I got first there, though. <laughs> yeah. See, so, um, you know, I just find it so odd that a lot of people consider once you get over 35, like you're over the hill and like a lot of 40 year olds are like, no, we're still going to do the open. We're still going to yeah. rumble with these young guys because we still have what it takes. Talk to me about training an older individual who's got years in the sport versus training somebody who's younger. You know, someone that's younger, as long as they're um, fundamentally sound in their lifts, you know, I probably don't have a problem letting them do, you know, squat, bench, incline, shoulder press, deadlift, maybe first in their workout some of those really base building movements that when you're younger, you can push hard pretty much without fear of injury and really just put on some slabs of muscle and develop incredible strength early on uh, in your lifting career. Whereas with a, an older trainee, I would probably sequence those back in the training a bit, um, you know, and uh, it, if they're not, if squatting hurts their knees, you don't have to squat, you know, stuff like that. Like push, let them push just as hard, but use some machines that feel good. And they have a good mental connection with when they push hard, you know what I mean? Don't, don't put them back on things where they got injured before. And then that's constantly in the back of their mind when they're trying to push hard, because then they're always going to leave some in the tank. And that's funny that you should, you should bring that up because um, are you familiar with Joe Ken? He's a strength coach. He used to coach for the Carolina Panthers. It's it sounds really familiar, but not not terribly. He, he's known as Big House Power online. Okay, yes, I know who that is. Okay, so I tweeted out that I'm gonna have to drop incline press for my exercise selection. I don't know if it's my labrums, but my shoulders hurt when I do it. Um, you know, when I get to extension, full extension on the lift at the top of the movement. I feel like something is seizing up inside of my bicep tendon. So, you know, I have trouble with it. I'll send you a link. I bet it's not what you think. Really? Please send me that link. Cause I like the incline press, but I would tell you, I bet it's your infraspinatus and supraspinatus uh, not doing a great job of what they're supposed to do. And, and they share the same nerve canal uh, as the bicep tendon, as it runs up towards the neck. And a lot of times, uh, when they're not doing their job, it presents itself as bicep tendon pain. Okay. Then I will definitely, I will definitely use whatever they recommend in that. Cause I, like I said, I like incline press, but Mm -hmm. you know, being an older individual, I have to take some things out, you know, more specialty bars come into play. Like for instance, uh, there's a transformer bar on the way of where I train at. I own one. I love it. You, you have it? Yep. Okay. So, like, I'll be using that. It's great. So, you'll, you know, you'll love it. I'm, I'm absolutely ready for it. And I think, see, this is what I call the Branch Warren syndrome, right? As much as I love Branch Warren, like, we can't be on the Yeah Buddy training system forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You yeah. know, the dumbbells are going to have to, the heavy dumbbells are going to have to be put by the wayside, like, you can do them, but just not as frequently. Yeah. 
So I, I think I think the older population definitely need to get that in their minds so they can have because it's all about longevity. And, you know, am I right at the end of the day? Yeah. Well, so, you know, my thing is like if you have a problem with something like that, you know, like. The other thing is at, at times I think we lack a good because I think activation is a stupid fucking term because your muscles are activated all the time or like you would just fall down if your ass cheek wasn't activated. But anyway, uh, people lack a good neuromuscular connection with some of the things they're trying to train before they try and train it hard. So I'm a big proponent of warming up enough to where a your body temperature is actually raised a bit and you're warm and to where like you have a good connection already formed with what you're about to train like so I don't mind you know having a, a cable or fly or a, a pec fly or a pec deck you know first on a chest day or you know leg extensions and adductors before you squat or you know any number of those things so you've got a good connection and your joints are warmed up and your muscles are all, you all have a good connection with them. So you're using your muscles to move the weight from A to B and not just strength only to move from A to B. And I think that's important as you get older, especially to stay healthy and be able to train hard for as long as you want to. Now, if you're in a less restrictive uh, endeavor like powerlifting, because bodybuilding, you can kind of avoid hitting things. But now mm -hmm. when you get into powerlifting, you're confined to three big lifts and you have to demonstrate maximal strength on those lifts. Mm -hmm. How do you train an individual in say their forties and fifties? Let's just throw volume out the window because we know we have to regulate volume according to recovery abilities. Right. How, how do we program them in terms yeah. of movements? Like sequencing or like yeah, how we're going to, like sequencing, you know, so honestly, for someone like that, I think, and I don't know if you'll be familiar with this, but like something like the winning warm up is a good idea. Okay. Um, okay. You know, where he does, you know, say that someone's going to train uh, push today or chest and, you know, so he's got them doing, you know, and it's a, a little circuit, you know, three or four sets of 20, 25 reps on each of these movements, but, you know, tricep push downs, lat pull downs, uh, feet up dumbbell bench. Like let's get some blood flowing in these joints. Let's get a connection going with these muscles. Like let's get our body warmed up and feeling good and ready to work. Gone are the days where, you know, if you're 40 or 50, gone are the days where you can just lay down under the bar and get to work. You're done with that. Yeah. And definitely certain pieces of equipment you're done with. Yeah. Um, you know, I've absolutely had to change the way I do a dumbbell press or an incline dumbbell press. I have to tuck my elbows in a little bit more. And I don't it I've actually come to find out because you follow Paul Carter and some of the N one stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I found I found some of those adjustments for my for my dumbbell pressing to be more effective. Well, we've just. been led astray by genetic anomalies that we've seen forever and how they do it. When in reality, finding out that, oh, this is the correct way would have been better for us all along. Speaking of genetic anomalies, in your opinion, what's the role of science in training? You know, I think there is certain scientific principles that obviously we've seen work. 
uh, and can be applied, you know, there's especially from the Russians and, you know, the Americans and stuff like that, but the Russians have great training programs based all around science. Um, I, I think it definitely should play some role, especially more so in powerlifting. Um, but I think people get really paralyzed by it. Um, I think you just need to be cognizant of what the science says and try to train with some generally sound principles. Um, I just see so many people with like their feet stuck in the mud about science because the science says in that one study from 2002 that this should work. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not you, bud. You know, maybe, you know, there's your own variables as a human you have to take into account. And I still think no matter what, because we've seen people on terrible programs make great progress, that effort is always going to trump everything. Effort does trump everything. And I think uh, it goes back to that Dave Tate saying passion trumps everything, right? Yeah. So now let's shift because this is a lot of this is very much coaching talk. Yeah, I, have, I will say this, you know, how many people before the Internet was around and they quote unquote, then were told they were doing it wrong, were the strongest, biggest people we'd ever met. And they didn't know any of that. No, they didn't know any of it. And they just went ahead. They stayed in their lane. They did what worked for them and whatever feedback they got from their body. They just went ahead and rolled with it. Right. So I just find it so odd that like and I'm not digging guys like, you know, I'm, I'm not taking a dig at guys like uh, Dr. Mike Israel, who I actually talk with uh, relatively fairly often. Um, I, I like Mike. I think sometimes my qualm with what they sell versus what they do online is mm -hmm. uh, a bit of a conundrum for me and that's and that's very much that's very fair to say and then when we also have we also have that conundrum because of our length of time within this thing called right. strength sports so like there's varying degrees of what works like when people say well does this work the response is always going to be it depends. And then there's varying degrees of works, right? Yeah. So absolutely. Jay Cutler's, Jay Cutler's thing, does it work? Low rest periods, high volume. Does it work? Yeah. But again, <laughs> right. we're great for him. Yeah. It, it depends. Like, are you just eating, sleeping and training? Right. You know, do you have a multi, multi-million dollar empire? You know, right. you know, there's there's things, but could it work? Yeah, it, it could, you know, right. train chest and back twice a week like Arnold did. Yeah, it or, could work. Yeah. Or, you know, Ronnie did everything extremely hard and heavy twice a week, I believe, you know, yeah. and it's like, hey, not many other people can be able to do that. No, no. Let's get into coaching a little bit. Um, yeah. That's become a big buzzword that when you mention it, it brings up a lot of different emotion. If you had to describe your coaching philosophy, what is it? Um, I think my biggest thing as a coach is empowering people uh, to believe in themselves 
in things that they didn't think they could ever do. And then that drives progress. What do you think of, well, first of all, not, not what do you think, but what, what makes a good coach? You know, I, I think the, the big thing we see now is um, coaches versus what I call programmers. And programmers, in my opinion, uh, just treat everyone like the spreadsheet. You know, here's the numbers you're supposed to do this week, or here's the numbers for the month. Off you go. Text me if you got a question. I'll get back to you when I can. Um, you know, whereas a coach, an athlete knows that their coach is invested personally in their success. They have some degree of personal relationship with the coach. Uh, where the coach knows what's going on in their life, um, can help them mitigate any peripheral stress that they're having that may affect their training, um, and just is overall pretty invested in the individual success of each of their clients. So if someone wanted to get into coaching, what do you advise that they do? Because the reason I say this, or the reason I ask this question is because there was a, a certain coach who is actually not a bad amateur bodybuilder. They're actually really good. Um, but they said, if you want to get into coaching, you need to take such such college class. And if you don't pass it, you know, you need to pass it with an A and then you need to do this and you need to do this and then you need to do this. And it's like a 15 goddamn step uh a 10 year resume building to be a good coach, which I do believe you need time, but is it like. Well, I mean, I can tell you I don't have any of that. Yeah. I like, I hear that and I'm like, okay, well that's disheartening. Well, let me just go back to selling fucking cars. Well, I think it it is a long learning experience and I didn't. Right. And I did not feel comfortable charging anyone for help until a few years ago but before that I just tried to help my friends when they need it and then continually learning and then applying the new knowledge that I acquired all the time do you feel bad for wasting your knowledge on people that didn't execute the plan I don't because they're like I beat myself up sometimes like people ask me for a workout program and I'll give it to them. And then they don't follow the shit. And I'm like, I could deal with that. I could deal with that. But what annoys me is that, well, can you throw this in? Can you throw this in? You came to me for a muscle building program. You're not running a fucking marathon. Right. Um, you know, I don't, you know, we've all had that experience. I think the next time they contact me, I'm probably just slower to respond. <laughs> you know, like, Ah, you like you didn't really do it that time. I'll get back to you tomorrow or something and see if you're still bugging me about it. Um, you know, I, I really have quite a bit of patience. Um, you know, probably God given to my mom and then passed on to me a little bit because uh, my mom is an absolute saint. Um, but then also, so after bouncing, Larry, then I managed nightclubs for about ten years. Um, and let me tell you what, buddy, you got to have some serious patience to deal with the patrons, the staff, and then the money side of things. So I've developed a, 
a thick coat of patience over my skin, you could say. And uh, so I don't get too offended by that stuff. Where do you see yourself going as a coach in the next five years? And then on top of that, when people mention your name in 20 years, what type of legacy do you hope to leave? You know, in five years, I would like to be considered, and I'm actively pursuing more knowledge all the time. Like I'm in a coaching mentorship with Matt Jansen now. I'm always actively pursuing more knowledge on the bodybuildings or on the powerlifting side of things as well. I would like to be considered at the top tier of both fronts. And I don't mean I have to coach a, a Mr. Olympia, but just that I'm a good bodybuilding coach and I'm a good powerlifting coach who leaves a positive impact on the lives of my athletes and, and does have the ability to help them achieve the goals that they do have. Speaking of some of your athletes, you, you are one of the few ones that I have seen that have taken namely women to uh, a big time stratosphere. Talk to me about your clientele on the female side and what makes it, is it easier to work with a woman than it is a man in powerlifting? Uh, I think women question less and do more, mm -hmm. you know, maybe because they, you know, men grew up reading and not that women couldn't or don't, but, you know, so many men grew up reading flex or this and that, or their buddy's dad who benched 405 in high school told him this is the way to do it. And, and this and that, and you run into more women with an open mindset on how to get it done. I also think women generally work harder. Now tell us about some of the clients that you have that are putting up some really, really good numbers. Um, obviously I think most people know my girlfriend, uh, Hunter Henderson. She's the, um, hundred best in the world at 165 pounds all time. Um, and she's number two in the world all time, regardless of, uh, weight class, gender, age, anything like that. She's just the second best powerlifter that's ever lived. Um, she has squatted. This is in wraps. She does, she competes in both wraps and sleeves. Uh, at her last meet, uh, she did 650 squat, 325 bench, and 573 deadlift. Um, and then in the spring, she, or in, sorry, the fall, uh, she had done uh, five, 534 in sleeves. Uh, she benched 319 and pulled 551. Um, so she owns the, all-time total record at 165, the all-time uh, squat record, and up until recently, she had the all-time sleeve squat record as well. Um, okay. I coached Kirsten Skirlock. She's doing strongman right now, which I don't particularly coach. I've helped some people with it, but I would say it's definitely not my passion by any stretch. Uh, I can coach it. It still comes down to the basic strength training principles and movement patterns and, and managing load and fatigue, but I'm just not into strongman very much. Um, but Kirsten Skirlock, she squatted uh, five. So 
She is in the 198 plus class. She weighs about 220. Um, she squatted 666 in wraps, bench 314, and pulled, if I remember right, 546. Um, I'd have to look it up. I think I've coached like six women to over uh, 500 pound squats uh, around the same on deadlifts. Um, probably about four women to over 300 pound benches. And then I've probably got around 20 women that all squat between 315 and 420. I've about the same women who bench between 185 and 250 and probably another 20 that uh, deadlift, um, you know, 365 to 450. Tell us about how this uh, relationship that you have with Hunter Henderson, how did that come to pass? Okay, so my best friend since I've been 16 trained, and he was a longtime training partner for me, but then, you know, married life and kids and all that. So it's got to focus on that. You know, our time schedules didn't match up. I worked at night, he worked in a day. So he trained at the gym that she went to. Um, she saw uh, the 2017 US Open. She saw Stacy Burr and uh, she's like, I, I want, I, that looks cool. I want to get interested in powerlifting. And so she asked my best friend, hey, do you know anything about powerlifting? He goes, I don't, but I know who you need to talk to. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And uh, so we just uh, set up a meeting where she came up to strong barbell club and met me. And uh, I mean, the rest is history, man. Okay. Very, very, very simple beginning. Yeah. Um, I want to get into a little bit about, Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. My the time is slipping away from me. Um, I want to get into a little bit about, your relationship with Matt Jansen. You mentioned that you are in a uh, coaching mentorship with him. Uh -huh. um, what are you? What are you learning so far? And my other question for for at least for me is a coaching mentorship worth the time and money? Um. You know, Matt, we're, we're, we've, we started the beginning, you know, I will give Matt a lot of credit. He respects my coaching ability and that I have already coached a lot of people to a very high level in powerlifting. So, um, you know, he's very open to what I have to say, especially on the training side of things. And so it's always nice when someone uh, who is accomplished, especially in a somewhat different field, still respects the knowledge that you have. Um, you know, but with Matt, he's like, I'm just going to teach you everything that I know. And I'm going to show you the mistakes I made along the way, what I did to fix them. And I mean, we started, we're starting from just literally how he runs his business, basic client assessments, how you build a plan, how you adjust a plan, contest prep, PEDs, just literally the whole gamut. He's just teaching me everything he does and how he does it. Now, you know, there is only so much you can get there because you still have to experience it and try and make changes 
to things and try things on your own in real life. So you amass this amount of knowledge, but you've still got to go out and apply it and get experience firsthand, uh, you know, get and get the feedback from people's bodies and things like that on how you're doing stuff. So I think the next question is, is will you eventually go down to revive and, you know, get some one-on-one with him? Yeah, I would, I would love to do that. Uh, you know, we've kind of talked you and I personally about, um, you know, competition plans that Hunter has and stuff like that, or that are kind of taking quite a bit of time. Um, but you know, as soon as the year slows down, I'd love to go down there for a few days and, and talk to Matt and train and, and pick his brain, you know, as far as my relationship with him, um, I would say Matt's like one of the first coaches that gives me what I feel like I give to my clients. So he's got like the utmost respect uh, from me and how he handles his clients and the relationship with his clients and things like that. So I think um, so far I've been, I've absolutely enjoyed this interview. I hope it was more of a conversation, like I said, rather than just a, yeah, absolutely. a Q&A. Um, but I'm, I, this last question is not uh, fitness related but it's more of an introspective look. What has made you into the man that you are today? Boy. You know, I think that's just the constant learning in life. You know, I would say my grandfather had a big influence on how I act. Um, You know, he was a very, uh, you know, it's funny. My grandpa is very harsh and straightforward with men and very soft and caring with women. And I'd say that has very much been instilled in me. Um, you know, but, you know, when, when I lived in Texas, uh, the bar owner down there was a, a great mentor to me. Um, you know, he was a very caring man. And, and I guess in some parts, uh, similar to my grandpa, except that he was just uh, fiercely loyal to those around him, whether they were in the right or wrong, he would defend them to anyone. And then he would deal with it privately on how he thought about what they did, but he was never going to let anyone disparage someone he knew in front of them, you know, and things like that. And I think, I think we're missing a lot of that these days. And, uh, you know, I think just a, a constant ebb and flow of life, has brought me to where I am now, but I would definitely say there's been some, some key men and women like my mother who have influenced me to be who I am today. Okay. You have any parting words for anybody? Is there anybody you'd like to thank? Uh, yeah, I would say the parting, parting words, uh, you know, the, one of the key principles I think about training uh, that I very much use with my own clients, because I don't think there's any one thing that someone has to do to be successful in training, except have fun. When people have fun, they are nearly unstoppable. Um, I'm sorry, sorry I lied. I do have one more question, but continue. You know, and as far as people to thank, uh, you know, I think like Andy Wang and Iron Rebel, uh, Andy believed in Hunter and I long before everyone else did. Um, You know, a lot of other companies when Hunter was on the come up, made a lot of promises and said a lot of things. Uh, Andy's the only one who's been there the whole time and stuck to what he said uh, 100%. And then as we've grown, uh, he has grown what he has done for us. Um, 
you know, Matt Jansen and Dom at Revive and Raw. Uh, they take absolutely great care of us. Um, you know, they support us in any way imaginable that we need. If we need help with something or if we need anything, uh, they are always there to step up and help us figure it out and uh, make sure we get it done and make sure we have anything we need. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else really. You know, that's, that's the main ones that, uh, you know, have been very consistent with their message of support through everything. Tell me about your relationship. Speaking of uh, support, tell me about your relationship with Live Large Clothing. Oh, Live Large is awesome also. Uh, I always forget because, like, they sponsor Hunter technically and not me, but uh, they always take care of me also. Um, Live Large is awesome. They are just – they're, like – very blue collar grassroots or, or whatever you want to put it. Uh, you know, Nick, the owner, he used to be, um, like a hardcore music tour manager and things like that. And he's very down to earth. Nick just wants to have a good time. Wants his athletes to have a good time. Wants powerlifting to be awesome. And, uh, again, another person that, you know, just supports us in any way. Uh, you know, they're a company that pays real cash when Hunter sits, world records and does things like that. You know, a lot of people talk about stuff. Uh, not everyone steps up to the plate and uh, they've always done more than their share of stepping up to the plate and uh, being supportive. Uh, you know, like Raw and Revive, they will make sure that we have anything that we need and, uh, you know, are ultra supportive. Again, since the beginning, they've pretty much been there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I hope those relationships continue to build. I hope you continue to build up your coaching resume, your coaching skill set, and uh, you just bring big things to the Midwest. Because I feel like, you know, compared to Las Vegas, which is having its own uh, issues, something as simple as water. Right. Uh, you know, I think the I think the Midwest compared to the East Coast and West Coast kind of gets lost in the shuffling, you know, kind of shit on. But I uh, I tell people, if you want to be a good bodybuilder, if you want to get be a good power lifter, um, one of the places you need to be, if you can stand the shitty weather, is Omaha, <laughs> Nebraska, uh, and Kansas City. You know, Kansas City is building up, uh, you know, it's, it's deal right now. Like, you know, Chicago is expensive. And, you know, I love Chicago. I really do. Yeah. But... Um, I'm sorry. I don't feel like paying over $3 for a pound of chicken breast. Yeah, that's silly. And I, I think, like I tell people, if you want to be a good bodybuilder, you can be a good bodybuilder anywhere, but if you want to accelerate it and have a cheap quote unquote, uh, within reason place to live mm -hmm. and manage the Midwest is where you need to be. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, Kansas City bodybuilding culture is okay. And what I mean by that is there's just not what I consider a lot of very serious bodybuilders here. Uh, everyone's super supportive. They're nice. I don't want anyone to take it that way. But just overall, you know, like we've got what I would call like one true bodybuilding gym here, and that's Flex Fitness that Jason May owns. Um, you know, but Omaha has great gyms. St. Louis has a pretty well-known and storied bodybuilding culture there. You know, there is definitely places around the Midwest that have 
incredible bodybuilding culture and you could do a lot there. Absolutely. Um, but we're building up, we're building up. And as long as we have vehicles like, uh, Instagram, YouTube, you know, stuff like that, it'll, it'll just continue to grow. And hopefully, uh, your name is mentioned within that, uh, stratosphere. Hey, if I just keep uh, doing my thing, it will absolutely be there. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us. If people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you at? Uh, I have a Facebook, but I don't get on there really. It's Facebook isn't a great place for people anymore. I don't feel like I just get on there for marketplace. So most of the time you just find me on Instagram. It's uh, Silva, my last name, S-Y-L-V-A underscore strong. Uh, and just, you know, hit me up on there, shoot me a message. You know, I try and get back to everyone in my DMs and stuff like that. And I, you know, love the talk shop and just, you know, interact with great people. So never be afraid to message me on there. Outstanding. Well, it is seven o'clock and I have a 10 o'clock show to produce. So yes, I sir. thank you. I thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Um, at some point, we will get your girlfriend on here. Um, Absolutely. Specifically before, like I said, before she goes brain dead. Because uh, yeah. it will happen. It will happen. I don't care oh, how yeah. much discipline she has. It will happen. <laughs> um, That's very true. So, but I thank you for your time. And uh, hey, thanks for having me on, buddy. We'll talk to you next time. For Ryan Silva, Vaughn Nateen, I am Larry Brown, and we will catch you on the flip side. Please subscribe to and like us on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, individual programming and programming bundles available through me. Just holler at me on Instagram, Tenacity Strength or through Twitter, Tenacity Strong, or just uh, leave a message on YouTube and I will get back, do my best to get back with you. But until then, we'll talk to you next time.